Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Good morning everybody and welcome to another edition of Keep Lefty, program at Victorian Labor College. Um, John Lafferty is not here this week and uh, I've asked Irene to keep me company <coughs> yes. for the next half or hour, depending on how much time you've got. And it depends on how much you can put up with. Oh, but... <laughs> and my tolerance is endless. <laughs> well, uh, yesterday uh, Turnbull, the new Prime Minister, announced his cabinet, accompanied by very supportive headlines by the, the press, yes. <coughs> describing the changes as a cabinet clean-out and a game-changer. The most significant appointment, <coughs> pardon me, was that of former Immigration and Social Security Minister Scott Morrison. I think he's aiming for the top job eventually. He'll be in charge of implementing the policies that the Abbott government and Hocking, its treasurer, failed to deliver on behalf of the corporate and financial elites. That is, major cuts in government spending and corporate taxes, particularly taxes that go towards ordinary people. In an editorial published yesterday, the Australian Financial Review spelt out the essential task of the government and what Morrison's role should be. It said, the failure of the Abbott and Hockey to carry out the, quote, the sort of policy change required to secure our modern prosperity is what brought them to grief. Forget the bullshit language. Turnbull, it, it, it continued, had outlined a bold ambition, quote, to embrace the new disruptive forces reshaping the global economy, and it'll be up to Morrison to implement. Yeah, if you're not actually physically vomiting at this point. The, in other words, the corporate and the financial elites are demanding an assault against the working class. More than three years ago, Hockey spelled out the agenda as, quote, ending the age of entitlement. That is, for you and I, not him. But he proved incapable of implementing it. The essential policy tasks they mean are major cuts in health and social service, tax reform, in other words, increasing the GST, in order to make cuts for, uh, way for cuts in corporate tax rates. Now, given a good percentage, uh, there was an article in today's, uh, yesterday's age about, what is it, one in five, five companies yeah. don't pay any tax yeah. at all. Yeah. So, so a cut in the tax... It'll be three in five don't pay anything. Well, that's right. Yes. And the cut in, ta- in the corporate tax rate was not going to affect people who don't pay anything anyway. Oh. At the head of Abbott's... Um, um, at the head of a- at the Abbott government's National Audit Commission, former Business Council Chief Tony Shepherd wrote, quote, that one of the main problems for the Australian economy was a minimum wage rate that was amongst the highest in the OECD group of major economies and the penalty rates were killing small business. Oh. It makes you weak, doesn't it? Yes, and perhaps if small business stops setting itself up where there's 10 other businesses of the same type. Well, and- that's right. That's all. Or even like 7-Eleven actually managed to pay their workers. Well, they're only paying half the award rate yes. at the moment. At the centre of the government strategy is an attempt to win a social base for this reactionary stuff amongst the better-off layers of the, what we call the middle class, but by portraying the government as progressive and innovative. And we see pictures in the sun of uh, Turnbull getting on the tram and all yes, the people applauding him. Yes. Applauding him. I was thinking, what would I have said when I would have been there? I would have been put off the tram, I imagine. 
The Australian's editor-at-large, Paul Kelly, a man of immense pomposity. Yes, self-regard. Uh, and, and enormous <laughs> self-regard, for what reason, I don't know. He wrote that there'd been never anything like this in our politics. A sweeping reconstruction and a renewal of a first-term government. I mean, they're almost wetting themselves. Yes, I've used the word orgasm, but anyway... Well, yes, well, you're, you're a bit more vulgar than I am. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, while Australia's still committed to the US alliance, which Turnbull fully supports, the issue remains whether at some point closer economic integration with China will come into conflict with Ca- Canberra's commitment to Washington's anti-China pivot. Remember, mm, it's uh, difficult. Obama yes. came here and received yes. uh, enthusiastic support of the Labor government. Yes. An article in today's Australian Review reported that both Washington and Wall Street were watching the new Prime Minister closely. Yes. There was an open question about whether Turnbull will operate a foreign policy more independent of the US and tilt Australia closer to China. Behind the scenes in security and intelligence circles, Turnbull's close to China through years of business dealings had become a point of chatter. Yes. The article points the differences between Turnbull and Bishop. In a speech last month when he was undoubtedly well advanced in his plans against Abbott, Turnbull described the relationship with China as Australia's most important economic partnership, which would send shutters in the the ranks of the United States. Well, what they have to understand, though, is that uh, it's capitalism and money is more important than being mates with the United States. Oh, Trump's loyalty every time. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, Turnbull said that, you know, uh, China is our most important economic partnership, while in January 2014, Bishop nominated the United States as Australia's closest economic partner because of the extent of American investment in this country, which is still the, the yeah. leading leader. Yes. Hence, the article noted, Americans will wosh, wosh, welcome Bishop's retention as deputy leader and foreign minister to assist with continuity and strong relations. <laughs> I'm sorry, we've got to interpret all this garbage. Yes. The Turnbull government will maintain the Australian military alliance in Iraq and now Syria, initiated yes. under Abbott, and commitment to the US pivot will remain firmly in place. But a, a Defence White Paper is going to be coming down later this year in which the Australian government will define its military attitude to China and will undoubtedly come under the close scrutiny in Washington. Even after a week in the job, one of the things that was Turnbull sent to distinguish Turnbull from uh, Abbott, who was uh, universally unappealing, uh, was that uh, that Turnbull would somehow be better on climate change. Hmm. Well, yes, you may well say. Mm. <laughs> I'm waiting for that. Well, <laughs> he, but this week, of course, he made clear that he makes. He plans to make no changes mm. to the Liberals' climate change. And this is obviously to keep the right wing in, exactly. in his party. Yes. In fact, so committed is he to Abbott's do-nothing approach that he's retained Greg Hunter's Minister of the Environment, or Minister for yeah, Ignoring the Environment. <laughs> Australia, of course, has one of the highest emissions per capita country yes. in the world. And it's the only Western country in the world whose government is not committed to a climate reduction target. Either way, Abbott further cemented Australia's status as in the global problem when he announced his government's new emission reduction target last month. The target will be set at 26 to 28 percent on 2005 levels, or 19 to 20 percent on 2000 levels. This is woefully inadequate, 
considering the government-run Climate Change Authority has recommended a target of 40 to 60% in emissions by 2030. So we're getting 26%. We need somewhere like 60%. But they use this specious argument that we've got such a small population, it doesn't really matter. So they like to forget, conveniently forget the per capita emissions and say, oh, we've only got a small population. So in the whole scheme of things, we're not having much of an effect. Well, that's rubbish. In terms of our coal exports, <laughs> yeah. what yeah. do you think? I mean, <laughs> exactly. as Martin Ruger, the problem's not a problem. Burning coals are going to burn it in China. Uh, regardless of whether, when the, where the new target is set, the new emissions reduction target hasn't, hasn't come up with any policies at actually re- reaching this target. I mean, it's just been, we will do this. Yeah, we, and how? how? <laughs> the, there is a motivation by uh, the industry group executive, for example, Ennis Wilcox's bloke's name. His motivation is to ensure that any emission reduction schemes, no matter how token, are paid for by you and I, by the taxpayers, not business. Yet the Abbott government has not committed any public funds to achieve no. his emissions reduction. Um, Abbott claimed that his targets show that his government put jobs and growth first and the environment second. Uh, that didn't work, though, did it? Well, no, it's this, <laughs> not for him. It's this pitting of jobs against the environment that has derailed the large environmental movement of the early 20s. Of course, when ordinary people are forced to choose between surviving into the next week with a paycheck yes. or surviving the next century in a volatile climate, they'll always go for the more immediate aim. Yes. Because, well, I want to lay, at least last till next week. Forget about the earth para- going... Yes, I'm not going to be alive then. I'm not so going to be alive. If I, if I don't get my <laughs> weekly paycheck, I'm yeah. not with life. It's this truth that polluting businesses and conservative politicians have exploited over and over to demobilise genuine attempts to address climate change. If we ignore the role and influence of big business in determining what is produced, where it is produced and how it's produced, then we're fighting a battle we'll never win. Private-run businesses will always pursue profit ahead of social need. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. (laughs) Attempts to limit the ability to big business to pollute have driven governments out of office due to the enormous political influence of mining energy and oil companies. This is demonstrated clearly by the coup orchestrated against Kevin Rudd in regards to his extremely modest mining tax yes. and the campaign against Gillard <laughs> in relation to her even more limited carbon tax. Yes, Capitalism has now got two crises. One, the enormous and growing gap between rich and poor, which the rich see as a threat to them, quite rightly. Well, yeah, it could start the revolution. That's right. Yeah. And the wholesale <laughs> destruction of the planet. Both problems point to the same solution. It's not the enemy that is the enemy. It's not the environment that's the enemy of the workers, but capitalism that thrives off the exploitation of both workers and the environment. We've got to rebuild the environmental movement as part of building a workers' movement to achieve real change. Such a movement can make the case for bringing major industry into democratic public ownership to guarantee jobs <coughs> while making the charges changes necessary to address climate change. And that's the only way it's going to happen. Yes, but the thing that they don't look at too is that you're going to provide jobs if you enable uh, other types of power like wind power, and mm-hmm. there's going to be jobs, but they've been legislating against it and trying to stop it. Absolutely. And and so 
you're going to probably have more jobs uh, if you allow those sorts of alternative powers than you do in the mining industry. Well, the mining industry actually employs very few people. Yes. Despite the they'll say, oh, we employ few. It's lies. Yes. They, in fact, employ very, very few people. And it's not about, they're not concerned about employment. They're concerned they're making a lot of money out of coal. Yes. The fact that it pollutes... They care not. Well, you only have to look at what happened in the Latrobe Valley. Uh, how many years ago is it now? Uh, when you had a lot of people employed down there mm. in the mining industry, mm. and then all of a sudden they decided when the SEC went and it became privatised that you didn't need all those people, so thousands lost their jobs. Yes, that wasn't it, a problem. Hey? That wasn't a problem for the ruling class. No, no, not at all. And if you went down to Morwell and those areas, and there were empty houses all over the place, yes. uh, and uh, and all those pe- and those places started to die, mm-hmm. and they never really recovered from it. No. And uh, I knew people who lost their jobs; thousands lost it. And and so yes, they can do it more efficiently by having less workers. They just use more different types of machinery. That's right. And so you yes. get the situation where. People are actually dying in the Trove Valley yes. from a fire yes. that was by yes. some other private operator. I mean, yes. if it's in private hands, it's operated for their benefit, yes. not yours, yes. despite all the propaganda. Well, I want to look at, uh, in the time left to us, uh, at the situation in Greece, which is becoming more and more complicated. You may remember that the Tsaritsa, a leftish formation, won, won the election yes. relatively recently. On an anti-austerity platform. Yes. Um, they then got cold feet about that and they decided they put it to a plebiscite on... And much to their irritation, the Greek people Shock, said, no to yes. austerity. <laughs> no to austerity. Yes. No to any plan. They were definite. They were absolutely clear. Now, I think Sarita had planned on the fact that they would vote for austerity... Well, they didn't know much, did they? No, they didn't know much at all. But they thought, that, oh, you know, they'll vote for austerity yes. and then it'll be up for us. We won't have a mandate to fight austerity. We'll, we will then have permission to give in yes. to the demands of the uh, uh, European banks. Yes. Um, so uh, this was a massive betrayal of the Greek people by Syriza. Yes. And uh, in order to, in order, because of the reaction to this and the fact that Syriza started to destabilise within, Syriza said, well, we'll go to an election another time, and presumably wanting the same result. In other words, a, a, a endorsement by the Greek yes. people for their betrayal and their acceptance of an appalling austerity regime. Uh, to their surprise, Syriza won another victory, winning almost as many votes as they did in the parliament in January 2015. In other words, the Greek people didn't write for the, vote for the right-wing opposition, which was absolutely for austerity. Well, a lot of people didn't vote, I think. That's yeah. the whole point. Yes. To ratify the new austerity program that Syriza elected, to reverse, Cyprus, who's the leader, mm. needed the support of pro-austerity parties including the centre-right New Democracy and the centre-left PASOK, which had already agreed to you know, memorandums of, for the Greek people to tighten their belt. In the final vote last month, nearly 40 members of Parliament of Syriza opposed Cyprus's capitulation to the blackmails. In other words, with Syriza itself, they said, oh, hang on, yeah. we were elected to oppose this austerity. Yes. When Cyprus resigned to trigger new elections... This parliamentary opposition became the core of a newer left alliance named Popular Unity, which scrambled together in the very limited time allowed them in for the 
prior to the election. The election was being held four weeks later. So popular unity just fell short of 3% of the vote needed to qualify for par- for Parliament. And uh, it's a pity it was so low, yeah. but they were given four weeks yeah, to, well, to alter. <laughs> uh, in the context of endless betrayals by Sir Richard yes. Um the, game, the aim of uh, Cyprus, the leader of Syriza, was to achieve two goals. One, to confirm the balance of forces and establish the viability of a Syriza-led government before the workers could realise through their own experience what the government had actually, actually agreed to. <laughs> exactly. And before the, the yes. workers got too upset. In this effort of Syriza, it was fully supported by the European leaders. Syriza leaders also had the support of the vast majority of the mass media, which of course is pro-austerity, which played a decisive role in organising and promoting a pre-electoral public discussion where there was almost complete silence on the question of the memorandum. So the best tactic of the ruling class is don't talk about it. Yes. Don't explain to people what what their government has just agreed to, even though it was elected to actually fight it. The second goal of uh, Cyprus, the leader of uh, Syriza, was the purging of the left wing of his party, even if that price he had to pay was the organisational disintegration of Syriza. In this goal, Cyprus was again supported by the bourgeois mass media, which slandered the left platform ruthlessly while hiding the extent of resignations and withdrawal by a huge number of activists who had actually built Syriza all those years. So they're just not telling us. Syriza, as a united political formation of the radical left, has today been replaced by a party completely built round its leader, based on some ambiguous and unstated relationship between the Prime Minister and his his followers. So in other words, the, the massive betrayal by the leaders of Syriza. The main precondition for the success of the Syriza leadership strategy was the spreading of disappointment and weariness amongst the people yes. who were active in social movements, including Syriza's base of political port. That was the point of their message, there is no alternative argument to justify the new memorandum. This message was repeated constantly. There's no alternative to austerity. Like, almost like a mantra by the leading members of Syriza along with their five-party coalition. The result of this policy, as you mentioned earlier, was the unprecedented absence from the Greek people from the elections which took place on September the 20th. Yes. There were 800,000 less people that voted than voted in January of this year. Yes. Which is a measure of the... Well, what do you do? Because you think you've elected a, a party that's going to fix it. When they don't, where do you go? Well, that's right. That's right. So if, <laughs> if, the, if you, you elect do? the government to fight and they don't, <laughs> they don't fight, well, most Greek people say, this, yeah. this electoral process is a farce. Which of course, yeah, and so what's the point? Yeah. And the thing is about the austerity, and I must say, uh, given that I lived in Spain for a couple of years recently, that um, the effect that it has is huge unemployment, uh, a dampening down of everything in the economy. People haven't got any money to spend. So the, everything, they fall into this depression and, uh, and nothing revives. It's, uh, it's, it's stupidity. Don't you want to stimulate your economy? You want people to have money to spend, and they need to concentrate on taxes and taxes of business, and make sure people are businesses are paying their taxes. And but well, that's going to be ruthlessly opposed. It's by all the, too hard. Well, that's going to be opposed yeah. by the West, 
European capitalists. Yes. The last thing they want is conditions on capital being tightened. Exactly. In fact, this is the golden <laughs> opportunity for a, a good clean-up. Yes. Buying out all these nationalised uh, businesses for virtually nothing. That's the nothing. other point, yes. Um, yes. The, uh, the background of this retreat of the hopes and the expectations of people who are active in the social movements is the retreat of the mass struggle. Um, there's an increase in the illusions that we can only challenge austerity through electoral means only. Now, while uh, you stick to that, yeah. <laughs> while you stick to that, you're screwed. When you're gone, yeah. Against this backdrop, the complete reversal of the political message of the referendum when a massive no vote of the working class in July mm. the 5th was turned into a shameless yes on July the 6th after the conference of the leaders of the main parties, including Syriza, marked a change in the political mood and at least temporarily in mass consciousness. A large part of the population, seeing that the anti-austerity project of Syriza was collapsing, started to believe that the overthrow of the memorandum imposed on them by the Western European capitalist class mm. was impossible, that you were stuck with. Mm. Is this retreat by Syriza, along with the recent memory of the ferocity of the policies of New Democracy and PASOK, they were the two, like Labour and Liberal, yes. prior to this, both of which, of course, firmly in favour of austerity, this produced the electoral victory of Alexis Tsipras on September the 20th. So, in other words, the only reason that Cyprus got back was that the alternatives were much worse. Yes. Um, <laughs> which is hardly... This is a Pyrrhic victory for uh, Cyprus. Yes. The government will be obliged to immediately implement the anti-worker, anti-popular reforms of the new memorandum starting in October. The dissolution of the social security system, almost complete. An unprecedented tax assault on the lower classes. On the lower classes, yes. And a massive wave of privatisation is yes. on the way. Yes. And West German business is licking its lips. Yeah. The lies about seeking equivalent measures that would protect the poor from the consequences of the policies predicted by the memorandum were helpful before the election, because they, but now they're about to end. They're not talking about those anymore. At this, some point, the leading round, group around Cyprus will face reality they will have to face the content of the agreement that they've already signed. They have already paved the way for a future alliance with PASOK, which is like uh, the Labour Party and equally appalling, and the scenarios for an even broader government of national unity mm. involving mm. new democracy, which is like the Liberal yes. Party. Yes. Facing this prospect, the only response from the working class can be struggle from below. Yes. Forget the electoral process. Yes. As you've seen, it doesn't work. You vote for one thing and the day after <coughs> you get the exact, exact opposite. Only strikes, demonstrations, yes. occupations and moves to defend workers' rights and social, uh, social rights will, will work. In order to crack the image of Saritz's po supposed popular legitimacy created by the election result, these struggles must be decisively supported by activists of the left. A big part of this responsibility lies on the shoulder of popular unity, the United Front political formation created by the left wing of Syriza, which is recalled, of course, at the betrayal of the uh, Syriza government. 
Popular Unity was defeated, of course. This I, I've already mentioned this. It only won 2.9% of the vote, which means it doesn't get members of the well, <coughs> Four weeks is not long to get organised. No. There are, there are good reasons for this defeat of the <laughs> left-wing break-off from Sarici. It only had a month's time to create a new political formation, <laughs> a month, and simultaneously to organise an electoral campaign on a national level. And... So Ritza, uh, Cyprus did this deliberately, quickly, yes. to stop the left wing being able to organise. They've also got no funds to begin with. The chances of failure were always big from the beginning. But there are subjective political mistakes as well. Uh, at some point, um, they overemphasised support for an exit from the Eurozone. At some point, this necessary part of our uh, overall argument was singled out and raised above a more general programme, which is what we need, of organising a united class movement against austerity and an anti-capitalist programme. This is what was sorely missing. Despite all these uh, uh, objective limitations, Popular Unity received 152,000 votes, and it's also already rallied an organised layer of thousands of activists and veterans of the working class struggle in the left. We look forward to what it can do. Hopefully. The Communist Party raised its percentage marginally from 5.47% to 5.59%, a little tiny percent. But this happened in a situation when Syriza was in crisis and split, and after Cyprus had just signed a new memorandum of harsh austerity, showing that there's no real cause for celebration there. Besides, the Communist Party of Greece is a well-known Stalinist formation who's not ultimately be troubled. The politics of the Communist Party failed to capitalise. During the election period, the Communist Party aimed its attacks almost exclusively against popular unity. <laughs> that is... Well, they're the my left- rivals. That's exactly. That Split. was exactly it. In other words, talk about a small yes. sectarian way yeah. of looking at the world where you don't attack the social democratic government no. that's just betrayed you massively. You don't organise opposition against the far-right forces being egged on by the European groups. You attack popular unity, yes. the left-wing... This that's, not, that's not confined, mind you, to Greece. I think well, the no. left has problems it does. all over the place, including in Australia. This tactic leaves all the promises on the front of the Communist Party's mm. newspaper about initiative to form some sort of popular alliance in doubt. You'd have to doubt their severity. The smaller anti-capitalist alliance of... Antasawa, A-N-T-A-R-S-Y-A, also raised its percentage of the vote marginally from 0.64 to 0.85. We're talking <laughs> t- t- <laughs> it set as its goal a broad militant front to overthrow the con- coming storm of anti-worker measures. Yes. The commitment to joint action from all parties of the militant left, including the Communist Party and Popular Unity. So they're on the right track. Yes. The problem is this statement was issued a day after elections and not three weeks before. The last point to observe, of course, is that the Nazi Golden Dawn, Dawn. who are fascists unmistakably, they won 6.9% of the vote. Uh, The increase of the percentage, we should don't get too alarmed by this, because the increase of the percentage happened because of the level of absenteeism. In reality, they lost 9,000 votes since January 2015. Uh, Our struggle to reverse austerity, our fight against the memorandum, is the only way to smash not only the capitalist greed, but also the fascist threat. And 
These lessons, of course, apply in Australia. Well, if you look at privatisation of electricity, where is it all going to be cheaper? Well, who was that? That was done by the Labor government. It was done by a Labor government, yes. As was the sale of Qantas? Exactly. And, uh, um, so well, that's new. This is sort of the new Labor type thing, isn't it? This is uh, progressive, these uh, Blair type Labor well, attitudes. Well, I, I reckon, I think that's been, the, I think that's it's been, been the go since shown. the 80s. Yes. And yes. Hawke and Keating well, when abandoned any pretense of representing absolutely. the working class and signed the accord, which was designed which, to lower wage rates and make conditions better for big business. Yes, it controlled, uh, and it, that's why the and nurses had a strike class. in 1986. That's right. How do you find increases in productivity in nursing and teaching? Well, and exactly. And the fact that you're being impossible. asked to find... Yes, productivity, productivity increase. Mean? What does it mean? How do you measure that, for <laughs> God's <gotta> sake? <laughs> how many well, bedpans? Well, that, the yes, hospital? how many patients do you look after? You're well, supposed to look after 20, which that's is right, dangerous. That's right. And productivity <laughs> increase is looking after 50. I mean, yes, the fact that you go and look, look after them is, is yes. absolutely ridiculous. Yes. Well, thank you, Irene, for helping me out. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.